This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Girl, there's like different levels of cahoots. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season six, episode 13 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Friday Night's All Right for Fighting. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dead Things. Well, what an interesting couple of episodes. Yeah. One of them is real, uh, is real, real. Real, real, indeed. We'll get there. What's new with you? Us? Anything? Uh, well, we've been playing The Quarry. Yes, are you familiar with The Quarry? It's a video game, sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure, kind of a story game, horror movie-esque. We've been playing that together. You know something that's really weird? We've played a game like this before called Until Dawn. Right. It's sort of a similar choose your own adventure game set at like a remote cabin in the winter. So since it's winter, I was thinking like, it'd be fun to play that again. Because you can replay it. You can make different choices. It's been a few years. So I brought that up to you one day because I don't play a lot of video games. I do like playing them with you, but I'm not good at them and I don't like playing some of the games you like to play. But you were like, actually, I bought this other game today. It was bizarre. It was on sale. I don't know if the like... Video game gods just knew that I had been thinking about this or that the weather made me think of Until Dawn, but it was on sale, so I bought it that day for us to play. And then you brought up, like, we should play this other game. And I'm like, that's weird. You're going to like what I'm about to tell you. You were like, you must know that I bought that today. I was like, no, I didn't even know that Quarry was a thing. It seemed too coincidental that you just, like, happened to bring it up. So we've been playing that, but then one of the loading screens, like, froze on us and we had to start all over. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was frustrating. There's nothing less interesting than re-watching <laughs> a story game that you've just did. Because a lot of the game is like cut scenes, essentially. It's mostly a movie. Yeah. You kind of get to pick stuff that happens. There's not a lot of button pushing. A lot of it's just like walking around, looking at stuff, but mostly just like watching stuff. You don't even have to. Yeah, and you make decisions and they might lead to you dying. And there is some button pushing stuff like yeah. where you've got to be quick, but... Oh, my God. And until dawn, there's this part where it's just like teaching you how to like duck and throw and stuff via oh, this so funny. cute little snowball fight that this, this couple's, couple's having. having yeah. <laughs> and um, I was really bad at ducking <laughs> or whatever. It's this cute couple snowball fight where you're playing the girlfriend and you're like trying you should be able to duck. But you your boyfriend's just hitting you right in the face. <laughs> he just was with, like, pelting me with like eight snowballs. snowballs. I think it, like, won't stop until you learn, so it's just, like, <laughs> Which this, is what uh, the boy character says. Weird. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop, stop until you learn. You learn. <laughs> just snowball after snowball directly in your character's face. Fun fact, Rami Malek is in that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one has some famous people, too. It does. Ted Rami. Ethan Suplee. And um, Brenda Song. Maybe some others, too. Some look familiar, but I can't place them. And the dude from Scream. Oh, yeah. David Arquette is in it. 
probably the most famous person in it. The one thing I will say is that the graphics, they oscillate between like, oh, that's really impressive. This looks pretty real to like, this looks real bad. Yeah, they don't do water well. They look like yeah. they're just swimming in a pile of cartoon oil. <laughs> yeah, every, every time they're like splashing each other, I'm like, you don't want that in your eyes. That's not water. Just so you guys are aware, we're going to be blasting out podcasts in our time. For you, they'll still come out once a week. Yeah, we're traveling for the holidays, so we want to get ahead. Yeah, so we have to do a bunch of watching and recording within a short amount of time. Because we're traveling separately. We're going to overlap for a bit in Wisconsin, but we're basically not going to be in our apartment together for like two weeks. So the podcast that you're listening to on like New Year's Day was maybe recorded at the end of November. Oh my, what if something crazy happens in the world and we just like date ourselves? That's the risk we run so that we can see our family. Yeah. We have a five-star review. We do. Thank you so much to Melro826. Thanks very much. They're a dog walker. Oh. They listen to us while they walk dogs. Nice. All right. Should we talk about the shows, Brian? Let's do it. Figure out which one's the realest. I know which one's the most real. Yeah. All right. Well, this week we started with Gilmore Girls. Please tell us about Friday Night's All Right for Fighting. Well, a lot of my predictions are coming true. You are predicting a lot of things. Is this show predictable? I'm just a good writer, boo. I will say Gilmore is easier to predict because it's human behavior that's relatable. Where Buffy's just like literally anything could happen. Right. A sister could appear. Yeah, you can't predict a sister's going to pop into the show. Though Gilmore popped in a girl Yeah, well. I get. you know what? <laughs> Rory's going to have like a stepsister, so. She does. Yeah, but that stepsister came into the show by regular means. This I is guess a that's new... a half sister. Yeah, April was conceived immaculately. Is that a spoiler? No. <laughs> is April a key? No. It's weird that there's similarly hated characters that were sort of late additions, 12-year-old girls. Well, hold on. We've been talking about this. Before we want to go, like, the shows are so connected. Like, Logan and Spike, they're just so similar. Yeah. Right? In this season, they're both two blonde dudes who the girl is into but, like, maybe has issues with. So he's just, like, hanging around uninvited to, like... Get her attention. Just keep showing up when she doesn't want him there. But she does a little bit. Right. Against her better judgment, she doesn't want him there. And he keeps showing up, inventing reasons to see her, pursuing her. Spike and Logan are both doing the same. They're both blonde bad boys. If Joyce was alive, Spike would definitely try to go through Joyce to get to Buffy. A hundred and a thousand percent. That's not how math works, but that's what they would do. We missed a connection a couple episodes ago, too. We did. I mean, I think I put it in the episode description, but like Spike came over to get his lighter and Zach came over to get his CD, which were like both things that they were maybe missing. I don't know if Zach actually was, but it was just like coming over with the excuse to look for an object to talk to the girl. Yeah, totally. Anyway, Friday night's all right for fighting. This episode is about like Rory really getting her shit together again. Downfall of Paris, reuniting with Logan and uh, reconciliation with the family. Yeah. The episode opens with Lorelai trying to sneak out of their bedroom without waking Luke. She's headed out to meet Suki at a flower shop because she has forgotten to tell her that the night before, Luke and her decided to postpone the wedding. So Suki's still out there to meet and look at flowers, and Lorelai has to go meet up with her. Luke wakes up. He's like, where are you going? Why won't you talk about it? And then she explains what's going on, and you know, bringing this up makes Luke feel really bad about everything, and he wants to help her. And she's like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. But, like, it's clearly not fine, right? Like, she's clearly upset, but, like, she is trying not to be, you know? Mm-hmm. But she's upset. We should say that in the last episode, she proposed postponing the wedding. 
And Luke was like immediately jumped on that. And I think maybe she hadn't thought that through or hadn't expected him to jump on it. Yeah. She's clearly she upset, but she probably also realized that she brought it up. So she can't really be like, well, I can't believe you're hurting me by taking me up on my suggestion. Right, right. This is all awkward. And then she like, they bump into each other. They just like forgot how to be around each other like overnight. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice because it's sort of saying that like they're trying to make everything good, but like it's awkward. Even if they're not saying it's awkward, like things aren't quite right between them. Yeah. It's this whole episode, I feel like it's this weird thing where she's like, I can't really be mad at you. I mean, she can be mad at him. He didn't tell her something big for like a long time, but she's like trying to be supportive because she still wants him to marry her. So she doesn't want to like upset him. And she knows it's like a difficult time for him. Right. So she's sort of like sacrificing her own happiness to like pretend everything's okay. Right. And we could dive into this, but, like, I don't know that it really makes sense that he needs to postpone the wedding. Like, it's tough because he's got this daughter that he probably wants to get to know. And maybe he's like, I need more time with her to see, like, maybe she should come to the wedding. It's a big deal. Yeah, I've seen people say it's, like, shitty of Lorelai to be upset that Luke wants to postpone when she put off setting a date because of her issues with her daughter. But I would say it's so different. Like, she doesn't want to get married without Rory there. I totally agree that it is different. Like, Rory's her best friend, essentially. But, like, I mean, it's not night and day difference. Like, he has a daughter now. Yeah, I That's get him wanting to, like... someone that would be involved in the wedding. I get him wanting to, like, see what that relationship is. But I feel like at this stage, she could come to the wedding, you know? Yeah. Maybe they're not as close as they will be in a few years or something, but, like... You totally. And But there's there's also other circumstances. Like, it seems like this wedding's all planned. So it's not like this is a ton of extra stress put on top of him... In addition to April. He doesn't need to do anything. He could just focus on April till June 3rd. Yeah, and let's say the wedding takes up three days of his life. He could just be like, hey, daughter, I'm getting married, so we can't hang out for these three days, but, like, I'm happy to hang out with you before and after that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I wish wish Luke just said, let's get married. In fact, let's do it right now, and let's stay together forever, and then the show ended. Except the show didn't end because I want to keep watching. Rory can keep having relationship problems. (laughs) I just want Luke and Lorelai together, and everything's fine. So Lorelai meets up with Suki, and she tells her about the postponement. Suki is like, what did you do? (laughs) She's just like, oh, my God, what did you do? You got cold feet. You you always do this. That's so funny because it's been a running theme that Suki's always blaming her, expecting her to ruin this. Totally. Uh, It's pretty funny. And then she tells Suki, of course, that Luke's got a kid. And, (laughs) I mean, all this is kind of funny. Suki's like, a kid? Like a goat? She's like, no, like a child, like a daughter. (laughs) And then Suki's immediate reaction isn't, like, super comforting. She just starts worrying that maybe Jackson's got a secret daughter. She's just like, you know, there's this kid I saw, talks and looks just like Jackson. Lorelai's very much like, hey, enough of this silly paranoia on your part. Let's deal with my issue, please. She's freaking out about, you know, what this could mean for her. But she's also overwhelmed by all the cancellations she has to make for this wedding, this perfectly stars-aligned wedding where she got, like, the church on, like, the one day that she could use it so like now you know she won't get it again but then Suki and her talk for a bit and then she gets convinced that Luke might just be overwhelmed at the moment and he'll kind of calm down a little bit and then change his mind so maybe they don't necessarily have to cancel everything because he might be less overwhelmed in a week and he'll be fine getting married so Lorelai decides okay well maybe I won't cancel everything yet I just feel like any time a character ever has a secret in the show, it blows up huge. So, like, I already know. Prediction, this secret's going to be bad. I can see this both ways because I think it's a good point that he might change his mind. He maybe is just, like, overwhelmed right now. And in, like, two weeks or a month, 
things would be going great with April. And he'll be like, I want to get married right now. We're all going to live together happily ever after. April wants a new mommy. She's done with her old one. She wants you. <laughs> I'm being extreme. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then we didn't need to cancel all that perfect wedding stuff we planned. Yeah. It is a little awkward, though, at that point, because Lorelai's got to tell him she actually didn't cancel it. Although I feel like she could just be like, okay, I'll rebook everything. And he wouldn't know the difference. Totally. That, like, it wasn't rebookable. But, yeah, I hear you. She is now hiding from him the fact that she was hoping he would come around. Which, it's not, like, the worst thing in the world to hide. If she doesn't need to cancel yet, she's just going to wait till the last second. So much of the show is just people not communicating, like, trying to minimize discomfort with communication, and then it ends up being way worse. That's real, though. I agree. But, like, it would just be so much better if she came to Luke and was like, hey, I, I know I told you to postpone the wedding, but, like, I really don't want to postpone it. I will do whatever I can to make it easier for you because I know you're dealing with stuff with April. But this means a lot to me. It's all set up. And I know Luke would be like, sure. I love you so goddamn much. Whatever you want. <sighs> what was that? Just thinking about the future. About our future or about? Just the future. Okay. Okay. Like back to the future? Just general future stuff. So Rory, uh, meanwhile, is walking around Yale. She's super busy. She's got tests coming up. She's trying to catch up for her time outside of Yale. And she's also got like a newspaper article due. So she's just like writing in a notebook while walking, not looking at all where she's going. Like several people have to like dive out of the way so she doesn't run into them. At some point, Logan stops her from walking into a trash can. They act like this is a big deal, but like it wouldn't have been. It's not like a spiked trash can. Yeah. But he's at the coffee car. He's been waiting there for her every day. And she finally agrees to let him take her out that Thursday to make up for their breakup. She's pretty flirty here. It's clear that she wants to be back together with him. Back in Stars Hollow, Lorelai gets home to see that Paul Inca has knocked a bunch of books over. There's a hilarious voice message from Bet Bet that she heard a bunch of ruckus in there, which was the books falling. And she tried to come over, but Luke fixed the back door so you can't just break in anymore. <laughs> you better talk to him about that. <laughs> I love this running bit that, like, the door's supposed to be just open and looks like, no, bad stuff could happen. Yeah. How did the dog do this? He just, like, pulled all the books off the shelf. The shelf's fine. Yeah. The shelf has no problems. Remember that time Kurt pulled a book off the shelf? Yeah. Our cat, Kurt Vonnegut. Who's a big boy. Pulled a Kurt Vonnegut book off the shelf. I was like, do you know this is you? Do you want me to read it to you? I think I have a video of it. It's very weird. He does not fit on the shelf. He's just like pulling at this book, trying to pull it off the shelf. It's so weird. The next voicemail after Babette is Richard. He's called about his Yale payment check being sent back to him. He's like, there's some problem at the Burch's office. Don't worry about it. We'll get it figured out. So Lorelai calls Rory to let her know that she's gonna have to tell her grandparents sooner or later that her dad is now paying for Yale. And she says, you know, they're gonna be hurt by this. Rory does not give a rat's ass how they find out or feel about it. No. She's just like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? She finally reluctantly agrees to send them an email about it. Rory has to hang up after she sees a blank spot in the latest edition of the Yale Daily News. There's supposed to be a photo, but there isn't one. It just says, photo to come, Paris to approve. And she's like, oh shit, and runs to the Yale Daily News to talk to Paris. Real quick, something like this almost happened to me once. Uh, a friend and I used to run a school paper. And one day we were joking about titles for this video game review we had. And we just kept pitching and typing in and printing as a joke, funny, inappropriate titles. And we forgot that we left one of them in. And uh -oh. right before we went to the printers, I was just like last minute, like, I've got some extra time. I'll just kind of go through like a little quick proofing. And I was like, oh, my God. Was it like cancelable 
I can just, I'll just say what it is. Okay? okay. Uh it was about this Tekken game being very difficult and like how you would lose it was just like a very hard difficulty. And the one that we left in there that made us laugh so much was something of like this game is all about tacking it in the ass. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> tacking it in the ass almost got printed. And uh, I don't know if that's cancelable, but it's definitely like you don't run the school paper anymore, Yeah. Uh, we definitely changed it <laughs> to something else. Uh, there was also another story of there was like a big car crash. No one was hurt, but there was a photo of the car crash. It was like bad. And uh, we had some headline under it that we realized after we had laid it out, like, oh, that headline looks Tucking like it, it might be. <laughs> this car really was taken in the ass. Uh, it looked like uh, inappropriate with the, the, the car. I don't remember what it was. So we moved it and we put a different story in there and we didn't really look at the title. But that got printed and that title was probably worse. <laughs> Because that title was like school's new shuttle bus program starts off with some hiccups or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just right next to this photo of a trashed car. (laughs) Just some hiccups. (laughs) It's like, okay, that wasn't better. Uh, Oops. Okay, back to this show. Rory confronts Paris. She's like, what happened? You know, how did this happen? And Paris is just completely stressed out and is being, she's already been unreasonable, but she's like dialed it up to 11. She's crazy unreasonable right now. She's just like yelling at everybody for everything. She wasn't liking the photos she was getting. So she sent two photographers to get this game and she didn't like any of the photos that they brought back. And then the two photographers realized that she had double booked them and still didn't accept their photos, so they both quit. So now she didn't have a photo. And her justification for running no photo was that the sports editor did not tell Paris that Paris did not approve of a photo. It was like, no, that's just your fault. It's just not, it's not the sports editor's fault. Right. She should be looking at every page before it gets printed, probably. Yeah, she should have known when those people quit that she had a problem. Rory realizes things aren't going well in the paper. Like, she finds out that a lot of the staff is sick. And it's a little confusing because at first I felt like they're sick, but, like, not really sick. They're just saying they're sick so they don't have to come in. Yeah. But then later someone is sick. So I, I feel like it's not clear. Yeah. I think people are sick, but then also some people are just not coming in because they're lying about being sick. Right. Rory finds this all out by talking to a character named Bill. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. I met him. He was at the fan fest. Bill's like a, a new reoccurring cast member, I guess. We've seen yeah. him a couple times, but he seems to be like the new Glenn in a way. What happened to Glenn, by the way? I think Glenn's done. I don't know. Glenn's did, he, gone. did the ocean finally get him? What happened? Yeah, he returned to the ocean. I miss Glenn was fun. He was like getting offers from papers and stuff. Maybe he just like left. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. The actor must have wanted to do something else. Sure. There are other, like, named people at this paper with, like, multiple lines, but Bill seems to be sort of the standout one that gets the most focus. Yeah, he seems to be the one that Rory's always speaking to. But the scene ends with Paris just, like, storming. Well, first off, Paris is, like, set up, like, a little office in the back. Like, it used to be a cubicle, but it has evolved into, like, a hut or, like, a little bunker back there, like a little fortress that she's made. It's got, like, its own ceiling on top of it, and inside it, it's just, like, covered in newspapers She's just, like, scribbled all kinds of stuff on, like, corrections and all. It's, it looks like Fred from Angel would have, like, loved to live there. It looks oh, like her. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a deep cut, everybody. Not that deep. It's a shallow cut. It's a shallow cut. 
But she just comes storming out of her like little bunker and just walks up to some writer at a desk and just rips up an article in front of them and then walks away. <laughs> it was pretty funny because it's like she's not even talking to her about it. She's just ripping it up and leaving. Lorelai calls her parents to break the news to them about Yale. Before we talk about this scene, let's just take a moment to talk about what Lorelai's eating in this scene. It's <laughs> She has squirted, and we've seen her do this with salads, but she has squirted chocolate syrup into a bag of oversized marshmallows and is just eating that? She doesn't actually put her hands on it, probably because the actress is like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Sure, put the prop down. I'm eating this. <laughs> Some are, like, on a plate. Some are still in the bag. It's, you need a fork and, like, a million napkins to do this. First of all, I just don't think this would taste good. Like, it It'd wouldn't be taste fine. awful. It just, like, wouldn't be that good. But why not just pour some in a bowl and dip them? That's way easier to eat. And keep. Like, are these marshmallows going to keep? Yeah, she can eat all of them. <laughs> Whatever. It's but it's also not a fucking meal, man. Like, it's, I know that they eat junk food and they eat a lot, but, like, I'm so, I feel like if you ate five of these, you'd start to feel sick. This was the woman who criticized people for sipping syrup in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Oh, sipping syrup, that's so gross. They need to pour that syrup all over some marshmallows. <laughs> what the actual fuck? That's not food. Back to the call. So Lorelai calls, and Emily and Richard answer, and they're both kind of confused about who she's calling. There's a bit of like a who's on first kind of situation here. Mm, it's funny. Lorelai finally breaks the news to them. And uh, let's just say that Emily doesn't take it super well. She just like hangs up immediately. And Richard is less emotional, but is obviously still upset. Yeah, he's just like, I'm here. Your mother had to go. <laughs> As if she suddenly had something to do that he knew about, but he knows <laughs> yeah. what's up. He does say, I just wish you had called before I called every person in the bursar's office a moron. Because he just assumed they had been wrong. She says that, like, you know, if it makes you feel better, at least two of those people probably deserved it. And then Richard laughed at that. You know, I have to say, I really like when Richard laughs at her jokes. Emily almost never, ever does. And Richard will, like, be the first to tell her, like, I need you to be serious right now. But, like, I do feel like Richard does kind of appreciate her humor. I think we're led to believe that they continue to talk for a while and sort of patch things up a bit. Oh, you think? Um, yeah, because this must be where they make plans to have Friday night dinner. I thought he got off the phone with her. She's no, like, go. It, it just ends with right after that little joke. We don't see the hang up. And we learn later that Emily was not really part of the plans. Right. So I assume this is where that takes place. Good catch. I assume she called back, but I guess you're probably right. And then at the final scene, they're somewhat okay. Yeah. Well, her and her father fight, but I, the only time that they really, in my, that I can remember, that they were really the ones fighting is when Jason was involved. But outside of the Jason debacle, I feel like she's gotten along with her dad well enough. I think they didn't really have much of a relationship. Like, if you'll remember when he was in the hospital in season one, she yeah. was, like, nervous to go in and talk to him alone because she's like, I've never talked to my dad alone before. He's dying and I feel uncomfortable with the fact that he might die and I've never talked to him and I still don't know how to talk to him. Yeah. But then they had that like bonding moment when she helped him set up his office. Right. So I like how their relationship has evolved. I do too. He let her jump out the window that time. Yeah, I think Richard's priority is his wife and her happiness. So he'll side with Emily in general. But like, I think he understands Lorelai pretty well. Yeah. Lorelai visits Rory at Yale and tells her that she told Emily and Richard about Yale and Rory's like, yeah, I don't care at all. She, like, really does not give a shit about them at all. I get that she's mad, but it's just a little rude to not let them know. Yeah. 
Lorelai tries to tell Rory that she totally understands the pleasure one gets from freezing out Emily and Richard and how fun that can be. But if she ever hopes to repair the relationship with her grandparents, she's going to need to make the first move towards reconciliation at some point. This is all very confusing. Take a step back, and I will say this. Lorelai is very emotionally intelligent. She very much is. When she gets upset, she can sometimes lose sight of that. But when it comes to other people, she's really clear-headed to understanding their emotional situations. And she often sees the bigger picture. Like when Rory broke up with Dean and threw away all his stuff, and then Lorelai held on to it against Rory's wishes because she knew that someday Rory would want it, and she did. Or like when she convinced Rory to go to Sherry's baby shower because she knew someday she'd want to be close to Sherry and Gigi, although I guess she was wrong there, but that's not her fault. (laughs) But in this scene, I have to say that like Lorelai does sort of hate her parents too. And like last season, she even told Emily like, we're done and didn't talk to her for months and only like reluctantly talked to her to like spend time with Rory. I will say she does frame it though. Like, I know you care about your grandparents and want to have a relationship with them. Yes. So I think she is separating herself from it a bit. And like like you said, thinking about what Rory might want in the future. And she knows from her experience that the longer you go without talking, the worse it's going to be to start talking again. Yeah. But I do hear you that Lorelai seemed to forgive her mom for something she probably shouldn't have forgiven her for. Yeah, just sort of out of the blue. It was like, okay, something you've never apologized for. Lorelai also specifically says, I don't want your inherited stubbornness to screw that up. So she's like, yeah, I'm aware I was dumb. I don't want you to be like me. Yeah. Rory still does not care. She's like, yeah, whatever. But Lorelai then lies and says, well, she already arranged for a Friday night dinner and Emily's very excited about it. We don't know that this is a lie, but like we didn't see this happen and it seems like a lie right on its face. And it is, spoilers. Rory's like, oh, uh, Grandma is all about this? Then all right. I'll do it. Also, Lorelai does a really funny impression of Emily being, like, excited, but, like, British and proper. I don't... <laughs> Rory! <laughs> Rory! I'd love you to come to Friday night dinner. Alert the corgis. Yeah, so so Rory's gonna go. That night, Rory heads to the paper to find out that just about everybody has quit and that the paper is not gonna come out. Bill is sticking around, even though he has quit, just because he wants to watch the fireworks. The paper has never once not come out, and he's excited that it's finally failing under Paris's watch, because he hates Paris. That's fair. Paris, meanwhile, is in her office, trying to get the paper out by herself. Rory goes in there and is like, um, this place is scary, and <laughs> there's no way you're going to get this out by yourself. Paris is like, yeah, I could do it, I get this out, just stop distracting me. And she puts on, like, earmuffs, and Rory leaves. And when she's outside of her bunker, she just, like, decides she's going to get the paper on herself. She just rallies all the troops, and the remaining writers calls everybody in that works for them and is like, promote anybody. We're going to get this paper out. She whips everybody into shape, convinces the paper's printer to give them an extension so they have more time to get the paper finished. It's really funny when she's on the phone with the printer because she tries to, like, flirt with the guy on the other end in a very similar way that her mom always does when she's trying to get, like, work done for the... Mm-hmm. for the inn and the guy calls her out on it she's like yeah of course i'm trying to use my feminine wiles and if you do this for me you'll get a slightly inappropriate christmas card i want to know what that christmas card is going to be yeah but the guy's like all right you get an extra hour but things are still going to be tight because the computers keep crashing we know because abed tells us yeah <laughs> he's got like one line out of nowhere famous actor this is actor danny pudi who uh, plays like a staff writer, I guess. I get He this literally had like line, one right? second. I, I don't even know if he's like in the big scene later when the whole group's standing around. 
I mean, I guess he's not a big actor at this point. Right? No. And uh, we had something similar happen at uh, Lane's study group. There was someone famous in that. Rami Malek. Yeah. If you don't know who Danny Pudi is, he's in Community as Abed. That's why I call him Abed, yeah. Logan shows up. He's all like, yeah, I thought we were going to be going out for dinner. And she and Rory's like, oh, my God, like things got crazy. I'm trying to get the paper out. She brings him up to speed. And then she's like, I just forgot and I'm sorry. And Logan's like, that's cool. You know what? I'm here to help. And he does. Obviously, his dad runs newspapers. And Logan, it's like in his blood. He just 100% knows how to run any newspaper. So he's like, cool. I can type in all these corrections. I also have a bunch of articles that I've written that I haven't used that we could just run in this issue. He tells her, take content from tomorrow's issue, run it in this one. But he's not upset. He's just like, here, I'm here to work. This is what I was born for. Do you know what healers are? They keep saying, bring in the healers. And I'm like, is that like a position at this paper? Or is that because everyone's sick? It's what I thought it was. I just Googled it here. Apparently, it's like a term at Yale, specifically, for these are like perspective or in-training writers or staff members that aren't necessarily actual staff members yet. I guess it's cool if they just like use a real term, but I think that may need some context if that's like a yeah. real specific thing. Specifically because people are out sick. It's like, bring in the healers. <laughs> yeah. Get everyone back to health and we can finish this paper. Also, do you know what desking is? They keep trying to figure out who's doing the desking. I don't know what that is. If I had to guess, I would say desking is either like typing in corrections like Logan is doing or is like calling to verify sources and stuff. But I, I don't actually know the answer to that. Well, let us know if you know. Also, Logan is like, I can't believe you didn't call me. It is a little weird that she didn't call him. Well, she said that she forgot. I thought she said that she didn't think he would care, which is maybe, I don't know. I feel like all hands on deck right now. And she, I know she forgot about their date, but like, you'd think she would still remember that Logan exists and works at the paper. And like owes her one? Yeah. Because he's trying to make this up to her? She also like forgot about their date, but you'd think she would have remembered their date if she was thinking about the fact that she didn't want to call Logan to help with the paper. <laughs> I think that would have jogged her memory about the date. Well, he like spends zero time at the paper. So maybe she's like just like wasn't even thinking of him as a staff member. Yeah. They work super hard and super fast. And right before finishing, the printer calls and says, hey, guys, it's too late. We're giving your printing slot to somebody else. And then Logan grabs the phone and decides that only privileged man can save the day. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Bill's like, I guess you're talking on the phone now. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Logan grabs the phone and then just like drops his father's name and says like, oh, yeah, my dad, you know, my dad, Huntsberger, big newspaper guy. I bet he'd like to meet you, which just sounds so pandering and fake. Like my dad wants to meet you. No, he's like, you want something from me. You don't like why would you want your dad to meet me? So Logan is like, yeah, let me get your name. And he's stalling so Rory can make the final corrections to the paper and email it to the printer. So he's just like, oh, yeah, what's your name? And he's like, I need a pen. I need a pen. And everyone's like, here's a pen. And he's like, no, I don't actually need a pen. Finally gets the guy's name and it's Russell Smith. He's like, I guess I didn't really need a pen then. (laughs) You think the guy would have been like, you don't need a pen. So he's vamping for a little bit, and then Rory's finally like, I'm done. And then Logan says, hey, man, you know, it's not our fault that you don't have the paper because we actually already sent it to the printers on time. Uh, it must be an issue with your server. and You know, you can't punish us because your server isn't working. You should check your server again. He has to vamp like two more seconds while Rory sends email. And then the guy checks the server. Sure enough, the newspaper has been sent, and they're all good, and he's going to print it. I know who cares, but like I just <sighs> – this doesn't make sense because – they're sending this via email, and the email would have the time it was sent. It wouldn't matter what your server worked or not. Like, when you got the email, you would see that they sent it, like, 10 seconds ago, not yeah. 30 minutes ago. 
I know email was a new thing at this time. Yeah, I mean, maybe people weren't as email savvy. Maybe there weren't. There had to have been timestamps, though. It was one of those things, too, where the guy probably saw it in the queue and was like, oh, whatever, let's just print it. He might not have even looked at the timestamp, but yeah. it just bothered me. <laughs> that but they had to try. It. Might have just hoped yeah. he didn't look at it. I do like when Logan suddenly breaks character. Like He's like being all suave and like vamping. And he's like, it's all there, man. <laughs> as soon as Roy gives him the signal. Yeah. His charm just drops. Yeah. Everyone is super happy and celebrating that they got the paper out. And then Paris comes running out yelling, we did it. And this is a little confusing. Like, what do you guys think happened here? Now, they showed Paris putting earmuffs on. And so she may have been oblivious to everything happening outside and just totally focused on trying to get the paper out herself. And maybe she had copies on her own computer that weren't like on a public server. That doesn't really make sense to me. And maybe she just got a notification that it went to the printers. So then she came out and was like, oh, it got there somehow. But, like, that seems a little bit of a stretch. It seems to me that she must have known they were out there making these edits. She would have, like, seen that on their server. Yeah, I don't really know how she's getting off taking credit for this. She does seem oblivious to the fact that they all just were working. Or she's just, like, it's sort of, like, denial. Like, yeah, we all did it. Like, let's not address the fact that, like, I didn't do what I said I was doing. Because if she's not oblivious, she would have heard Rory be like, chop, chop, I'm taking over. Yeah. If these earmuffs don't actually cancel out all sound, she should have been able to hear everything that was happening. Yeah, I mean, there's it doesn't seem like Paris's personality, but you know, maybe it's the case that she could tell that Rory was getting it all together and getting it done, and was like, "I'm just not going to interrupt this because it needs to get to the printer." Yeah. Well, they all ignore her. <laughs> yeah. Rory's all like, "I owe you so much, Logan." He says a weird thing about getting a foot rub, but in my head, I'm like, "No, like, don't you like you're trying to win her back right now?" He's not trying to be gross right away. He pulls out two sandwiches and some, like, wine, and she's like, oh, when you're on, you're on. So they get to have their little dinner back at Lorelai's house. Suki and Lorelai are coming home after work. And we find out that Lorelai is, like, loaning Suki and Jackson Paulinka for a night to see if they're dog people. Yeah, they're thinking about getting a dog, so they want to test out what that's like. Yeah, it's I, it seems like just an excuse to have Suki there for some reason. But I don't know. We'll see. Could have been literally anything else. But if we're going with the theory that Lorelai is imagining Paul Anka, so this scene is just Sugi alleviating Lorelai of her delusion for the evening. Yeah. It's okay, Lorelai. Yeah, yeah. We'll take your delusion. And yeah, she's yeah. pretending to take a dog out. They, real quick, they mention walking in. Suki just kind of offhandedly says that, like, Michelle was always at work and she thinks she would leave work and be happier if he had some someone to go home to. So I don't know if that was like, uh, you know, a seed they're dropping for a future love story with Michelle, but that is said. I don't know. While they're there, Luke leaves a message on the answering machine that April is coming to the diner until 8 that night. So he will see Lorelai after 8. Suki points out that uh, I guess they decided that she wasn't meeting April. It's very clear that Luke has unilaterally made this decision and it's news to Lorelai. It's kind of weird, and I think he definitely should talk to Lorelai about this, but I don't know. It's I, I think he should have said in the message, like, you know, I, I'd really like some alone time with my daughter. If you don't mind, it'd be nice to see you afterwards. Yeah, I, I get why he maybe wouldn't want to throw Lorelai into the mix immediately, but... There's a lot to deal with that, because even just thinking about having a child, like, they're not married yet, and I don't know, like, it could be like a, a sort of like a fake mom for April, like, I don't know, April could become attached to Lorelai and like Luke and Lorelai could break up and then like Lorelai's just poof out of the picture. And then she's like, which I'm sure is going to happen because Suki's right. That's what Lorelai does. But also that's what Amy does to Lorelai. 
So that would be like kind of traumatic to April to like get a mother who gets ripped away from her. Also, like she could be like a cool mother, and that's not fair to Anna if she's got this mother she like likes more because Lorelai's desperately trying to you know make April like her and be happy, and she doesn't have to be like the mean parent. So that's not fair to Anna either. So I feel like it's not insane to be like, let me establish a relationship with my daughter and then introduce you. Yeah, but he should have like had that conversation with her instead of just, like, casually dropping it in a V-mail. 100%. What I will say, the only defense I can say is that Luke is just not skilled at communication. That's like a Luke flaw. I don't think that he's trying to be an asshole. No, I don't think he realizes this is shitty. Yeah, and it would be nice of him to have said, I need some time alone with my daughter for the reasons you could already probably think about. So before 8 o'clock, Lorelai goes to Taylor's ice cream shop to just stare at Luke and April through the window. I don't think that's necessarily what she's there for. I don't know. It might be. I don't know where she was going because it seemed like she stumbled upon the shop because there was a line. Yeah, there's a line going out of the shop because they're giving away samples of like some fancy hot chocolate. The line thing is weird, though, because there's like no reason this line shouldn't be just moving. I know. It's like not moving at all. But then as soon as Kirk starts handing out the samples, it moves so fast. But the the table's just full of samples. This should take two seconds. Maybe he hadn't started yet. They were waiting for it to start. Yeah. When Lorelai gets there, though, some woman is very upset that she's budging in line. Lorelai's like, I'm not here for that. And the woman's like, yeah, I don't believe you at all. But it's super funny because Bet just like bad mouths this woman and grabs Lorelai and just does take her to the front of the line. With a she says, chocolate. can it, Ruth? When your foot's not in your mouth, you don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babette is super mean to this woman. I love it. Also, there's a throwaway line where Babette yells to Miss Patty, did you hear about Tilly's new facelift? She used scotch tape. And they laugh about it. But I like this because it's got to be Eastside Tilly they're talking about, right? Yeah. It's obviously not the child Tilly. Who knows? They might be the same. They might be the same. Yeah, I don't know where Lorelai was going. The store? Because you'd think she would like steer clear of Luke's unless she was going to be nosy. It makes me think that she's going to be nosy and like maybe isn't proud of it or isn't sure she's going to do it. Lorelai goes to the, like, one table that they have there by the window and then is just immediately joined by Babette and Miss Patty, who are just crazy surprised that Luke's kid is a reader. This is, like, a running bit that's pretty funny. Like, they just can't imagine Luke reading, let alone having a kid that can read. The angry line lady keeps trying to, like, be part of it. Super funny how Babette is, like, mean to her. Yeah, she says, we're busy. Go lick the empties. (laughs) Yeah, go lick the empties. Obviously, Babette and Miss Patty already know the whole deal about the kid because they know everything. They're gossip queens. Kirk then comes over and then this like loud, booming voice is like, so that's Luke's kid. Well, well, well. What is she reading? A book? (laughs) (laughs) Super funny. It's so performative for some reason. like 15 people gathered around watching now. It's such a funny visual. It's insane. It's so goofy. Yeah, Lauren, like, clearly feels bad about the whole thing and probably guilty for, like, voyeuring them. That's not how that word works. But Lorelai leaves. Right after she leaves, Luke looks over and sees that, like, half of Stars Hollow is staring at him. He's pissed. At home, Luke tells her, like, so annoying that all those people were watching. And he also is surprised that his daughter is a reader. Luke is complaining about these people watching and stuff. Lorelai is, like, agreeing. You can just tell that she feels guilty, one, that she was watching. But also, again, she's uncomfortable but doesn't want to talk about it. Or it's not letting Luke know that she's uncomfortable. Luke says that these people should know that he wants some alone time with his daughter so that she feels comfortable around him. And he's like, you get that? And she's like, right, right, right. But, like, it's interesting because, like, he's now communicating that to Lorelai so she knows. But like, He's telling her she knows. Yeah. But, like, yeah, this has been good to say to her. But this isn't a moment where she's like, oh, okay, now I get it. She's just sad. 
she's doing such a good job of telling us that she's sad that yes. Luke should pick up on this. Yeah. And he's like very excited, but I don't know. I just feel like it's so clear that she's like, uh-huh, great. Love this all. Yeah. I, I don't know that Lorelai really knows how she feels about it. Yeah. Or rather, maybe she does know how she feels, but knows that it's not necessarily fair to feel the way she does. Sure. So she's like at a point where I feel like you feel like you're upset about something. Like, but I don't know that I really have a right to be upset about it. Yeah, that's true. She doesn't want to bring down his happy mood with her insecurities about it. Yeah. I mean, he's not happy. He's upset about like, the Right. People, but, but he seems excited about April. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be like, well, I'm not. Yeah. Then it's time for Friday night dinner fights. Probably the most fun Friday night dinner, maybe, so far. So Rory's worn her period scarf. Yeah. Earlier in the episode <laughs> on on campus. It looks like an ad for which pad works better. <laughs> I thought the same fucking thing. I'm serious. It's like three different like red splotches on this scarf. Earlier in uh, the episode, Lorelai had a scarf on that was kind of silly, and she kept saying that Rory should wear this silly scarf. And then Rory's just wearing an equally weird scarf at Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> They're outside, trepidatious about going in. Rory wants Lorelai to, like, stall before they go in. So Lorelai just keeps telling the story and just making shit up off the top of her head about some, like, cattle heiress. I don't really remember. <laughs> She's, like, turning what's actually happening into, like, a fairy tale. I think Rory's the cattle heiress or whatever. And yeah, it's talking about their house. Maids go in, but they never come out. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah. Slightly pornographic statue. But at some point she's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I've got to stop. I made lets them in. Richard is being distant and like very absent-minded. He's getting them drinks, but he like keeps saying there's something wrong with the drinks and that they need new ice. And he gets ice like twice. By the way, he offers and gives Rory her first alcoholic beverage at Friday night dinner. I don't know why she's so anti-drinks because she does get drunk sometimes. Yeah. It's like with her grandparents she's weird about it. Well, to be fair, they hadn't asked, offered her any until now. Yeah, but even when they offer her, she's like, I just want a small one. Well, she probably knows she's going to lose her shit tonight if she has a big one. Emily is on the porch doing some moonscape painting. So she can't join them at the moment, you know, because it's perfect moonscape painting weather. And she might win a moonscape painting medal. So, you know, she just got to do that, even though it's 40 degrees out and her family is inside. She's got a moonscape. Yeah, Rory quickly puts together that Lorelai lied about Emily being into any of this because Emily's clearly avoiding them. Yeah, she, Lorelai like calls her in and she's like, well, I'll have to shower first. I'm like, you're going to shower right now? Yeah, well, it's clear she's upset. She doesn't want to spend time with them. And she's, I mean, I don't think she's hiding. I think she's trying to let them know without saying it. Yeah. So Rory tries to explain herself about the Yale payment. She said she just wanted to let her father do it because it's her father. But like, Rory, you are lying. <laughs> You did this because you want to get back at them, and everybody knows. Emily's are like, whatever, don't believe you. And she calls out Lorelai for being hypocritical. She says, it seems to me that when I was the person in cahoots with Christopher, everyone thought I was a villain. But now that Rory's in cahoots, everyone's fine with it. And I'm like, girl, there's like different levels of cahoots. Yeah. Okay, like what you did is trying to end a relationship. You tried to stop someone from being with the person they love. And she just tried to make it so you don't have something she, you can hold over their head. Also, there's every reason that Christopher should pay for this. Absolutely. But also, like, them paying for Yale was something they were holding over her head. That was like a, it's like a form of control. Right. And they used it as such. 
So for her to say, like, oh, you took away the way we could control you? You're a villain too? No, that's not the same fucking thing. Yeah. Also, Emily and Richards was alone. Christopher's straight up paying for it. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. that makes more, I feel like Rory's more comfortable just, like, accepting money from her father that doesn't seem to pay for anything generally than yeah. she is being indebted to her grandparents. To be fair, Rory made it alone. I think they would have straight up paid for it. They wanted to, I think. But in Rory's eyes, this was a loan, and her father's yeah. money isn't, so she's right. better off letting her dad pay for it, so she's not in debt. That's interesting, because you think they would have brought that up. That's actually a better point. Be like, wait, so with us, it was a loan, but with your dad, it's not? Like, that would have been probably an interesting thing to talk about. Because if Christopher had been doing his job all along, he would have been maybe saving money for her to go to Yale. Yeah. But Emily is all about control, and anytime anyone sees there's any amount of control from her, it's it's an affront, because she should have levers of control emily is a villain sorry she is rory finally admits that she did do it because she didn't want them paying for yale anymore so then richard and emily and rory all try to storm off in different directions it's very choreographed yeah it's very exact it looks like they were about to break into a song or a dance number which would have been nice yeah it literally looks like like what you're all going in different directions i also just want to point out earlier in this episode suki said once more with feeling Speaking of musical episodes. Yeah. Which is a common phrase, but. And then they're all stopped in their tracks immediately when Lorelai yells and she's like demanding that they work out their issues and no one can leave until they do. So they do. And it is ding, 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 ding fight time. <laughs> this next series of scenes are all super cool. This is really cool. I, this is fun. It's a bunch of very quick and short fights that are being filmed with a handheld camera and cutting quickly and like with time jumps. At least the first part's handheld. It starts with Emily yelling at Rory about how she didn't appreciate what they did because they spent a ton of money to fix up that pool house and then she just abandoned them. Rory says she didn't ask for any of that. They just did it. And Emily's like, well, you didn't say no. That means you wanted it, which Emily, you've got some, you got to read, just Google consent. But also it's hard to tell your mom or your grandmother to not do something that they're doing for you as a gesture of love. There's no way to do that without, like, humiliating and crushing them. Yeah, Emily, like, slapped Rory awake with wallpaper samples. Like, Rory yeah. didn't. She probably could have insisted no, but it seemed like Emily wanted the excuse to do it. And Emily was pretty forceful about this. I mean, that girl was just, like, abracadabraing in furniture and wallpaper into the pool house every time Rory went outside for 30 seconds. She also, like, force-decorated her dorm that one time. Yeah. So, like, shut up, Emily. Emily, you're a villain. You are. Sorry to tell you. Richard, like, jumps in here and there to, like, support Emily. Mainly, he yells at Rory to stop raising her voice to her grandmother. But, like, he yells that. be like, stop raising your voice to your grandmother. They're both upset that she left without even leaving a note. And they're super sarcastic to her. She, like, sort of apologizes. She's like, I'm sorry. And then Emily's like, yeah, I don't believe that. And Richard's like, I've never been so touched in my life. <laughs> we mentioned the camera is handheld. So it's, like, a little shaky. And it really puts you into the action. It makes it seem like it's very action-oriented. It's, like, swinging back and forth between people. Yeah, it's on Lorelai's side of the table, showing Rory and then, like, panning to Emily and panning to Richard and back to Rory. But then Lorelai jumps in to defend Rory, and then the camera pans all the way around the table to show Lorelai from, like, Rory's perspective of the table. Lorelai says, give my daughter some slack. She had been through so much at that point, and people do crazy things when they're stressed, like... Emily, last time I saw you, when you were stressed out, you were trying to buy a plane. Emily's like, I was just looking to timeshare a plane. 
Then we jump like two food courses ahead. Like the salad comes out right then. And then we time jump to like they have a different plate of food in front of them. Richard is in the background now, like getting drunk, standing up. And Emily is fighting with Lorelai, blaming her for not telling them the whole story about Rory and how depressed she was. Otherwise, they would have handled this all differently. And Lorelai is like, I told you what Mitchum said to her that ruined Rory's self-confidence and like led to all this. And you guys like didn't care or believe me. And then hilariously, Richard's like, I don't remember any of that. And Emily's like, yeah, that didn't happen. Then we cut the Lorelai acting out their conversation from last <laughs> season. When she came in asking for their support, she just like acts out all the things that they said. I love that. It reminds me of um, the movie Clue when Tim Curry's like reenacting yes. everything. It's also, I just, uh, let's put a pin in Richard and Emily's reaction here. We'll come back to that. Then after she like does this whole big act out, we cut to a very quiet, calm scene where they're all just like enjoying the dessert that came <laughs> out. They're all like, this is very good. Yes, it is very good. Is this mango? No, it's passion fruit. Very different flavors. Then we cut to Emily and Richard off screen in the kitchen, maybe screaming at each other about the plane. <laughs> so funny. Richard's like, what were you doing buying a plane? Emily's like, I wasn't buying a plane. I was looking at a plane. I can look at a plane if I want to look at a plane. I love that too. Cut to the whole family laughing together uproariously at Emily retelling her story of when she told off Shira at the DAR fundraiser. Shira's Mitchin's wife. Nice. They're all drunk here. Maybe not Rory, but everyone else is drunk. And this scene is so, so funny. Emily's telling the story, and she kind of finishes up, and Richard's, like, insisting that she tell her about the, and then pantomimes up and down. He's like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) The part about her weight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Emily tells them about, like, how she mentioned that Mitchum still cheats on her, and she can tell by the way that Shira's weight fluctuates 30 pounds every month. (laughs) Richard fucking loves this. It's just (laughs) like, oh, my wife is such a ruthless woman. Emily's like, I just wish I had remembered to call her a cocktail waitress. And Lorelai's like, that's my mother's version of the C word. And they all laugh so much. Richard, like, chokes. (laughs) Yeah. Cut to a less angry argument between Rory. It's like a little more civil between Rory and Emily. Emily wants Rory to quit the DAR, and Rory refuses. And Rory's like, you know, I know more people at the DAR than you. And it's true. Rory was killing it at the DAR. Emily, you were probably fine at it, but Rory was murdering it. During this scene, Lorelai and Richard are just on the couch, and Richard's like, so how's Luke? And Lorelai's like, oh, he has a daughter. (laughs) (laughs) He has a kid. That was funny. They're just like blankly staring while the other two are fighting behind them. Yeah. Then we cut again to another off-screen fight where Lorelai and Emily are once again talking about Lorelai's mistake in not marrying Christopher when she got pregnant with Rory. It seemed a little weird to me the first time I watched it. I was like, you're fighting about this now? Like, this is like the most ancient news But I guess maybe thematically and story-wise, this is like Amy kind of telling us that, like, at the end of the day, it was this, like, quote-unquote betrayal that led to everything between Lorelai and Emily. I agree. I think it's just, like, wraps it up nicely. But I also think that would have been, like, funnier in the middle. Like, they're still fighting about this. Yeah. I kind of remember that being more in the middle than it was. I don't know what I would have ended it on, though. I, I think I now that I've rewatched it, I think it it is a good ending because it's like it's always about this. At the end of the day, it's always about this. Maybe like Rory should have said that or something. I don't know. It just felt Maybe. weird to then cut to outside. Yeah. Oh, actually, I think it, the last thing is them all sitting silently. 
There's like a shot of them all just like on the couch, not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there is like a brief button. Then we cut to Lorelai and Rory leaving Emily's. The door shuts behind them and they just like sit. They look a little frazzled. Yeah. Like their hair is all messed up. And they just stand there silently for a moment. And then Lorelai's like, well, I guess Friday night dinners are officially reinstated. So I guess they did work everything out. It's confusing if they like actually made an agreement to reinstate Friday night dinners or if they were just like, well, we're back. We had one just now and maybe there'll be more. I mean, it makes sense to me that they would have reinstated Friday night dinners because obviously Emily is desperate for some kind of like forced interaction with her granddaughter. Yeah. And it used to be that Friday night dinners were how she did it before because that was an agreement. And then it was the Yale money. And now like she doesn't have anything to like trap them in her web of manipulations. And so they probably were like, okay, we will do Friday night dinners again. That gives you the thing you want so desperately. I'm guessing that's what happened. We want there to be Friday night dinner. Yeah. That's like the best part of the show. So even if the justification for having it is kind of wonky, I want it to be there. Yeah, the show's justification for the reconciliations with Richard and Emily, like sometimes are done well, but like sometimes I'm like, no, you hated her last episode. You wouldn't just be like, cool, I'll submit to your humiliating dinners now. But you're right. We want them on those Friday night dinners because that's when the drama happens. It's probably also a little real that it's like hard to quit your family. Yeah. I feel like you got to do something like real fucked up to just like completely disown your parents. Yeah. And Emily sort of has, but the grand scheme of things, there could be worse things she did. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Stacy, was it a good one? Yeah, I think it is a good one. I'd say so too. The Yale paper stuff is fun. Yeah, the Friday night dinner scene is great. I thought that was more of the episode. I was like, we paused at some point right before that part started. I was like, oh, there's only like nine minutes left. I thought that was like at least 15 minutes. But yeah, the paper part's fun. I think you had problems with Logan using his privilege to win, as he always does. Yeah, it just seems like he's a hero for just using his status. But he also did do work. Like, he, he came in and typed and, you know, did his job. I agree that he did. Well, I he typed. Yes, I agree. But the big hero moment was when he got on the phone and, like, had no problem dropping his dad's name. Right. But also, is he supposed to not use it? Wouldn't they be pissed at him if he could have done it and he didn't? Well, I agree. I think a better way would have been, like, if someone told him to do it. And then he was like, all right, I hate yeah. doing this, but I got to do it. Reluctantly using the privilege, I think, is one thing. But him just, like, kind of almost gleefully being like, I got this, guys. Taking the phone from the guy and being like, listen, I'm super fucking important. So I get things done, even though I shouldn't. Yeah, it's hard to see him as the hero in that situation. I think it maybe should have ultimately been Rory that made the phone call and fixed it. Yeah, she could have even dropped Logan's father's name. It's just, whatever, you could say I'm picky or whatever, but just like it just doesn't seem heroic to me that he dropped his dad's name and that's no, how I they agree. ended up fixing it. I, I think it's the easy way out. It would have been more interesting to see it be someone else. But all that was still fun, like yes. seeing them rally and like stressed out trying to get it done and they got it done. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating that Luke isn't communicating well with Lorelai, but yeah. I thought Lauren Graham's acting was good, and mm-hmm. the scene in the soda shop was so funny, all of that. Mm-hmm. Go lick the empties. <laughs> <laughs> there really wasn't a lot bad about it, and that last dinner scene is just like, Mwah, that makes it such a good episode. Totally. You had other problems with Richard and Emily, I think, not remembering. Well, I, I want to put a pin in it. I don't have a problem with it, but I think it speaks to their character. Richard's like, I don't remember that. I, 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 you do though. Yeah, because they brought this up again. He recently yeah. remembered that Lorelai said that when he had his encounter with Mitchum. So this was a lie on his part. Mm-hmm. 
which I think like I feel like Emily and Richard often act like they're a victim when it's like you're only a victim if you purposefully ignore this information we know you have. Like you were wrong about Mitchum and what you should be doing right in this scene is apologizing for not believing Lorelai. Yeah. Honestly, that's what you should be doing. You should be like, what Rory did by moving out was not okay, but yes, we should have listened to you about Mitchum. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense that they won't acknowledge that. Saying that, I don't remember. It's just like easy way to get out of it and to not have responsibility for this bad thing you did. I'd be fine with that if he like didn't have a scene a few episodes ago where he was like, Lorelai was right. <laughs> but I... I wouldn't even be fine with it. I feel like it was she was there in a time of need and she said these things. Yeah. And if he did say he forgot it, then I would be mad at him for forgetting. I feel like this is just a lie. I don't believe that they don't remember. I think this is a lie to avoid having to apologize. But yeah, this is a great episode. The Yale stuff is really fun. The Friday night fights was just a ball all the way through. The April stuff, I'm not a fan of like Lorelai being sad about it. But like, I'm not saying she's not justified. I'm just like not a fan of watching her be sad. Because I want her and Luke to be happy and make everything work. But I just want them to communicate. That doesn't mean it's not a bad show. It's just like, please, just fix it. But you got to have this tension so you can fix it later. Although they won't because Amy's going to break them up for more drama. All right. Well, should we move on? Now for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile Uncharted. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 6, Episode 13, Used Karma. <laughs> Richard, Paige's boyfriend and Rory's grandfather, casts a spell to rid himself of bad karma and accidentally infects Phoebe with the bad karma of Marta Hari. I don't know what that is. I guess I'll look it up. Okay. I didn't realize Richard was Paige's boyfriend. It was a Dutch exotic dancer who was a spy for Germany during World War I. And was executed by a firing squad in France. Wow. Okay. Well, I had to do some research myself, but we have met Richard before. Richard Montana? Dick Mountain? This is Dick Mountain? (laughs) I guess. So, just a refresher. Dick Mountain, super hot. He had a whole bunch of, like, side families and, like, a dead lover that were after him. He was dating Paige. The dead lover got jelly. They resolved the dead lover stuff, but she pointed out that he had bad breath, and Paige was like, oh, yeah, you do. I don't want to date you. So either we were wrong about that or Paige changed her mind. He fixed his breath. Paige seems to be dating Dick Mountain right now. I mean, so far, as far as the show's gone, I don't think we've made any mistakes. Right. So I'm guessing she must have just off screen, like, made it work. First off, I feel like casting a spell on yourself to get rid of your bad karma is, like, cheating. Yeah. Like, the whole idea of karma is, like, you do bad things, bad things happen to you. You don't get away with it by being like, cool, I'm just going to delete my bad karma, and so now I'm going to have good things happen to me. I mean, the whole idea of karma, if you can circumvent that, then that's real bad, universe-wise. Well, I mean, it backfires. Well, yeah. He infects Phoebe with the bad karma of Marta Hari. Which is also weird that you can give some... Well, we don't need to get her name right. Okay, she was a spy who got executed. Okay, well, I guess then it's a race to un-Matahari her before she gets executed. Yeah, they have to get some herbs from, like, the store. They're like, this is easy. We'll just get these herbs from the store. Yeah, just, like, parsley. Yeah, I'm going to make a soup that I need before I can do this spell. It really works out because the, the Book of Shadows is a weight loss cookbook, so there's a recipe in there that yeah. everything you need is at the store. But uh, it's Phoebe... Is like, yeah, I mean, 
I should be able to get to the store. Like, it's not like my karma's that bad, but it is. She starts going. She starts bumping into things. She accidentally bumps into a guy who's like, wait, who are you? You remind me of my ex, and I'm mad about that. And he starts to try to fight her, and then Dick Mountain has to take him down. He says, I'm Dick Mountain. Don't you know? He had no reason to say that, but he did. He says it a lot, and it's like, we get it, dude. Uh, so, like, getting the store is very difficult for her. Like, birds run into her and stuff. Just, like, any bad thing that could happen to someone. What is with you and birds, man? <laughs> Me. You stuck to Chris. <laughs> but they get the herbs, and they they undo the spell. At the very end, Dig Mountain finds out that Matahari was, like, a stripper. And he's like, oh, oops. Maybe we could have kept that. And then Phoebe's like, what? What the fuck are you Yeah, what? I'm, you're, you're dating saying? my sister. Yeah, why would you bring that up? Paige, by the way, isn't helping at all. She's just, like, writing in her diary about how great it is to be dating Dick Mountain this whole time. Yeah. Dawn style. She's narrating. Uh, And that's the whole episode. Yeah. It was a bad one. Yeah, it wasn't good. I actually think it does have a pretty bad IMDb rating. Do any of them have good ones? Um, Yeah, they do. They've definitely declined as we've gone through the series, but some do. This one's like a 6.9. But Double Meat Palace also is in the sixes. And that's one of the best episodes of Buffy. This has been Meanwhile on Charmed. We also watched another show. I said that like, like we also watched Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Stacey, could you tell us what happened on Buffy's episode, Dead Things? Sure. So this episode is about the trio doing some fucked up shit. Yeah, man. It's so uh, fucked up. I think I put it well. And... Also about Buffy enlisting the help of Tara to figure out what's wrong with her. Mm -hmm. Okay. It opens on the aftermath of another wild night of lovemaking in Spike's crypt, where Buffy and Spike have somehow ended up under a rug. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It literally just sounded like they were slamming into furniture, like breaking stuff, knocking stuff over, just before the camera pans to them and they're under a rug. This is a very heavy rug. Like, it takes effort to get rolled up in a rug like that. There's no way they were just banging against a dresser, and now they're under this rug. Yeah. Was it the sex that was making all those crashing sounds, or was it just the effort it took to get under this rug? Even with wild sex, how do you get under a heavy rug, or any rug? You have to try to get under a rug. It's not just like, oops, we were so caught up, we just slipped under this rug. Well, I know how Spike and Buffy, in general, both of them like to have sex, and it's definitely unnecessarily under something, right? Like, they always have sheets on and stuff, they were probably just having sex on the floor, and she was like, I need to feel partially covered. Yeah, they probably were just, like, over-putting them in sheets. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, let's try a rug. This will be wild. Their sex is so crazy, they're under a rug. Just have them be standing up, blocked by dressers and shit. Like, I don't, I don't know. It, just, it doesn't make any sense. No, it does not. Buffy starts complimenting his rug, telling him his place is really starting to come together. He's like, well, I did eat a decorator once. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I've been thinking about redoing my room. Spike's like, wait a minute. Are we having a post-coitus convo? Usually you're, like, beating me up and leaving by this point. And she doesn't really seem to mind that he's suggesting that they've got a bit of a normal relationship brewing here. But when Spike brings up how much of an animal in the sack she is, she gets a little wigged and says she's got to go home to Dawn. Well, first off, she's like, uh, like, she's talked about getting the feeling in her legs back. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm like, I don't care how good a sex you had. Buffy's, like, the one person who's probably ready to go and healed up, like, immediately afterwards. Like, sure. I, you know, I'm like, you are probably fine. Probably because the rug is cutting off her circulation. <laughs> yeah. 
Spike says, like, you were amazing. The things you do were crazy. And she's like, well, you weren't so bad yourself. But he's like, no, what you did, like, the way you make it hurt just right, like, you're an animal. And that, like, upsets her. Yeah. Because I think she feels a little humiliated and bad about herself for having sex with him. And his, like, reference to her being animalistic is like, yeah, I'm, like, not human. Yeah, I I summed that all up into the word wigged, I guess. But (laughs) there's more nuance to it. So she's got to go. He asks if she even likes him. She says, sometimes. And he says, you like what I do to you? And her silence says yes. And then he pulls out some handcuffs and asks if she trusts him. She says, never. We don't see what he does with those, but this conversation and other stuff later in the episode, I think, implies that they have some pretty rough sex. Almost like the pain is part of it, and they're both into that, at least in the moment. Yeah, I don't know if he hurts her. He might. I think Buffy, Buffy's one of those girls that probably is into rough sex because she, she could take it. Yeah, that's true. Rewatching it too, I I think he used the handcuffs on her. I'll get there you think in a so? second. Mm-hmm. Well, he says, like, do you trust me? And she says no, and it would be very trusting to put her in handcuffs. Right. There's a clue in a minute. Okay. The trio has relocated to Andrew's basement. Andrew and Jonathan are fighting like children while Warren preps the cerebral dampener. Andrew has acquired some stanky demon gland that Jonathan performs a spell on that somehow activates this technology that Warren's made. I don't know how demon and science goes together, but... Um, have you not seen season four? Okay, it goes together (laughs) perfectly and makes a perfect season plot arc. But they're going to use this demon-activated device to make any woman their willing sex slave. Oh, my God. Explains a creepily quivering Warren. Dude, watch the scene. He quivers so fucking weird. It looks like he's, like, laughing, but not. Like, his body's just kind of, like, wiggling like he's making a sound. It looks like he's jerking off right there. Yeah, yeah. Go watch this. It's so weird. It was like Joss was like, give me more. One more more take. One more take. One more more. More. We're talking about sex slaves. I'm excited about this scene, guys. Warren, look what I'm doing. Copy me. (laughs) Uh, this episode is super dark. It's super dark. Yeah. And it deals with some real shit, man. Like This is the real one, guys. This is the real episode. Yeah. So that's their goal. Their goal is to make a sex slave out of some random woman. This this is like the most fucked up thing that's happened on the show so far. Now, I know like in a vacuum it's not like stripping the flesh from someone or sending them to an, a, a hell dimension for eternity probably is like a worse thing I, I hate to compare these things but like this is something that could happen to someone right they, those are all imaginary fantasy not real things that like cartoonish villains do this is a real thing that real people do i mean you can't make someone your willing sex slave without demon and technology well jeffrey Dahmer tried that's true that line we're gonna make any woman into our sex slave was just such a like disgusting villainous thing it, like, it's just like how are they gonna make this fun tv y- yes exactly it can't be fun it's gonna be fucked up i don't know that i would say that like we should never address anything like that or that people wouldn't have these thoughts that's not what i'm saying but i'm just saying that it was such like okay this is fucking real how are we gonna handle this writing wise we'll get back to that put a pin in it buffy's crushing it at the double meat palace she's asked Tara to meet her there to have a little conversation during her break They talk in the break room? That's not a thing. You can't just invite your friends into the back of your work. You can if you know the secret ingredient to the meat. (laughs) I want my job back, and I want to have my friends over. They probably just wanted to make a joke about the motivational posters. Yeah. They specifically say they couldn't meet at home because Willow's there. Right. 
Tara's expecting Buffy to say that Willow's up to something terrible, but that's not it. She wants Tara to get to the bottom of why Spike can hurt her. And as she says this, she like hides her wrist, which is what leads me to believe that she did okay. let Spike do something okay. with the handcuffs. I see. She grabs him and tucks him under the table. So I'm guessing she's got like marks. Okay. She wonders if the spell they used to bring her back could have somehow brought her back wrong, as Spike's been suggesting. Tara's like, no, you're fine. You didn't come back wrong, but she agrees to look into it anyway. Buffy goes home to find Dawn and Xander dancing in the living room with Anya and Willow watching. She's like, oh, no. Is there singing? Are we singing again? <laughs> They're like, nah, we're just teaching Dawn how to dance for the wedding. Buffy has changed out of her outfit at work. Like, she comes home in street clothes. You'd think she'd want to change at home and not, like, have the street clothes in the restaurant. Yeah, just picking up all those smells. Buffy expresses she's had a bit of a rough day. And then her friends, unbeknownst to them, start throwing a string of sex with Spike euphemisms at her, like, the whole rest yeah. of the episode. Xander says she's been slinging the double meat, pounding the big evil. And Anya's like, you are looking a little pounded. <laughs> they invite Buffy to the bronze. But she's like, nah, I'm going to stay in and hang with Don for once. But Don's like, uh, you never were actually around. So I actually got plans with that bitch Janice. Eastside Janice. <laughs> Janice is the girl she got in trouble with on Halloween. Well, Buffy even mentions that. She's like, yeah, yeah I don't. But Willow's like, yeah, I checked it out. But Willow, can we trust you? <laughs> Willow's eyes are black. I checked it out. It's fine. <laughs> I did a spell for her. Buffy's feeling a bit rejected by Dawn, so she decides she will go to the bronze. Meanwhile, the trio is on the hunt for the woman to turn into their sex slave. At some, like, old people restaurant? I don't know. The people there are youngish. It just doesn't feel like a place where young people would hang out. It's very, like, wood panel-y. Seems like a supper club. You had more of an issue than I did with this, but I hear what you're saying. Maybe they're not necessarily looking for people that are young, but the person that they find is Warren's ex-girlfriend, Katrina, from the April Sackbot episode. Do you think this was intentional that he knew she was there? Yeah, because in the scene where he's quivering, he's like, I know exactly where to start. So I do think he maybe knew where she would be hanging out. Okay. But yeah, I assume she's like 21-ish. Jonathan is the same age as the Scoopies, so I think we can assume Warren and Katrina are also around there. Right. She's just like hanging out at a bar. I don't know that 21-year-old girls just like go to a restaurant bar and hang out by themselves. Well, she might have been there trying to get picked up by like a business dude. Yeah, like a sugar daddy. Or just a, she's into a guy who's like got his life together because the last person she dated was like a man child who was a genius. Yeah. Jonathan and Andrew are in his ear chanting for him to go for the one with the bazoombas, but he ditches his earpiece and approaches Katrina. She's not happy to see him. She's still mad about the fact that he made a sex bot who tried to kill her. It's like, get over it, lady. Dude, women like will hold that kind of shit against you forever, man. Ugh. He admits he's made some mistakes and is hoping they can work things out. But she's not having it. She makes it very clear she's not interested in him whatsoever. She's about to leave when he uses the cerebral dampener on her. Uh. And she quickly switches tones, saying, I love you, master. So they take her back to their lair, put her in a maid's outfit, and make her serve them champagne. They're trying to decide who gets her first, and Morin demands that it's him. It's so fucked up. And they can have her later. It's supposed to be Jonathan first. <laughs> <laughs> This is all weird and gross. It's so fucking weird and gross and, like, real and gross. Obviously, having a sex leave is not real, but, like, it, uh, it's just so gross. The fact that they're all comfortable with it. I mean, Andrew and Jonathan seem a little uncomfortable, but they are arguing over who gets her first. Warren talks them into it pretty quickly. So he takes her into another room. Warren does legit seem to, like, miss and love this woman as much as a sociopath can love, I guess. Like, he wants to be with her. 
Yeah, he makes her say stuff like, I love you, not just like, call me daddy. He makes her say she was wrong, and he says he loves her too. But it's, it's because he's like a sociopath, like I don't think he loves like regular people love because he's yeah. still like – He's not thinking about her at all. You're still going to give me a blowjob that you didn't want to give me, and then you're still going to have sex with my friends. Is he even going to let them? Whatever. He's about to make her do some stuff when she calls him Warren. She's only been referring to him as master since they used the device. So he's like, wait a minute, and then realizes the brainwashing has completely worn off. They try to use it again, but the power's dead. And he's like really trying to get them to fix the device. It's like, I don't know. Warren's intensity here is like creepy. Probably a super uncomfortable character to play. Totally. This whole scene must have been uncomfortable to play. Well, she's all like, listen, uh, you use some kind of mind control thing on me to make me like your sex slave? Like, I'm, what? Yeah, there's, what? Like, you're yeah. evil. When Jonathan and Andrew realize that this is his ex, they're like, dude, that is messed up. Now, regardless of who this is, it's all very messed up, guys. Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. I do think it being someone he knows who has very explicitly expressed that she does not want this makes it a little bit worse. But like, if this was a rando, this is fucked up. I mean, when you say it's worse, sure. But like, it's already at like 10 as far as worseness. Like, yes. It's so yes. bad. It's it's unforgivable already. She's obviously pissed to realize what's happening and is really breaking down how fucked up all this is. Calls it what it is. And I'm going to say the word. She's like, this This is rape. Yeah. That's what she says. And it's such like an uncomfortable word. I mean, it's an uncomfortable thing. It's a real thing. And it's happening in this episode. So like, it's just crazy that like in a Buffy episode, like we're not like alluding to this or, you know, or like kind of talk. It's like, that's what this is. We are labeling it that, which it is. It's so fucked up. And it's like, yeah, like these guys need to be punished for this. Like they need to go to jail. And when she throws the word out there, I don't know, you can tell Jonathan and Andrew feel a little bad. Now that she's put a label on it. It's hard to feel bad for them, though. Totally. Warren is obviously meant to be a much bigger monster than them, but did they never stop to think about what they were doing here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so messed up. It's not even like, oh, it's a love spell where, like, you could convince yourself it's not. You know, it's, like, kind of consensual. Like, this is not, this is a sex slave. Yeah, because those love spells, like the Xander bewildered episode, it is, like, mind control, but it wasn't, like, the sole purpose is to have sex with them. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty unforgivable for all of them. So she's going to go tell the police, but Warren tells them to stop her. She manages to fight off Andrew and Jonathan, but Warren tries to stop her by hitting her with a bottle and accidentally kills her. So they're all panicking. They're trying to brainstorm ideas to magically get rid of the body. Jonathan points out that since Warren is her ex, he's going to be a suspect when people find out about this. He seems mainly worried about Buffy, but I'd be worried about the police too, which we find out in this episode Sunnydale does have. <laughs> they're busy as hell, of course. The only time we've seen police officers is when they're like a decrepit old man in band candy. <laughs> yeah, like maybe we've seen them before, but not often. Yeah, I mean, they, we've seen them when they like came to get Buffy in season two. Yeah. Jonathan says they should turn themselves in, but Warren says he's not going to go to jail for this. So he wants them to come up with a plan to take care of the body and the Slayer in one fell swoop. At the bronze, Anya and Xander are swing dancing. Seems like the musical episode wore off on them a little bit. Yeah. Or has not worn off. <laughs> yeah. Or the actors were like, more dance, maybe? More dance, we learn. Yeah, Nicholas Brennan's like, I didn't pay for these classes for nothing. I'm going to dance in at least three episodes. <laughs> Here again, Will is like, it's okay that you haven't been around much. We know you've been all tied up. Which I think is another indication that Buffy's getting tied up. 
Also, Buffy's wearing what I guess you could call a necklace in the scene, but I think it is meant to represent like bondage. It's like a rope around her neck. Essentially. It's like an electrical cord that she tried to make pretty. Like it looks like someone tied her up and then cut off the excess. Yeah. Willow decides to go dance with Anya and Xander, leaving Buffy alone. She wanders upstairs where some people are hanging out, by the way, including Spike. He creeps up behind her, pointing out that she tries to be normal and fit in with people, but she always ends up in the dark with him. I don't think she knew he'd be up there, but she doesn't seem to mind that he is. No. He's like, what would they say if they knew about all of our weird sex like we're about to have right now? Probably all the stuff they've been saying all episode, unknowingly. (laughs) And they just start doing it, like right on the very visible balcony. Like they're right on the edge. Yeah, this is insane. They're elevated. They're in the open. There's nothing around them. And there are people up there, like behind them. But I mean... I guess that's the point, because he's like, look down at your friends and tell me you don't love getting away with this right under their noses. And she doesn't tell him that she doesn't love it, so part of her does. We see Willow heading to the magic shop, where she bumps into Tara, who's on her way out. She's obviously there to get a book to research Buffy's deal. I had wondered if Willow should even be going to the magic shop, since they had to purge their home of everything magic, but she tells Tara that she's doing well enough to start going again, with supervision. And she says she's gone 32 days without spells. Tara says she's there looking for Buffy and asks Willow to tell her she needs to talk to her if she sees her. What an inefficient way to leave a message. Are they getting cell phones at some point? Yeah. I guess it's 2002. I don't think I got one until like 2003. Do you think Buffy can afford a cell phone with her double meat palace checks? You said they would have them at some point. I feel like we're just getting into the time where it was like normal for most people to have one. Tara does say she's glad to hear that Willow's doing better, but doesn't seem to be super interested in talking to her much. Buffy is walking through Spike's yard, which is a graveyard, (laughs) when Spike seems to sort of smell that she's nearby. Are vampires' noses that good? Like, through concrete? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, varies. Sometimes they won't be able to tell someone's in the same room. Sometimes (laughs) they can smell someone, like, anywhere nearby. Like, later he scolds her for slipping away, and he says, vampire, remember? I could feel you. Is that, have we ever known that vampires can feel when humans are nearby? No, they can hear really well, and they can smell blood. She does end up right outside his door, but he smells her before she even gets that close. They just kind of stand on opposite sides of the door, like feeling the door for a while, longing for each other. All of this is like set to music, too. Yeah, with like lyrics. Mm -hmm. Our neighbors are having a huge party. I don't know if that's being picked up. Yeah, I don't know. But when Spike opens the door, we see that Buffy has thought better of this and has left when some trouble calls. A woman is running away from some demons. Then time kind of gets wonky. Buffy sees the woman crying on the ground. Demons are gone. Some voices start whispering. What did you do, Buffy? What did you do? Time is all out of whack. Spike appears. It seems like Buffy just hit him without realizing. The demons reappear. Buffy and Spike fight them. Again, time is fucked. And now we see (laughs) Buffy actually hit Spike. Like, we saw the end of it before. Now we see it happen. But because the demons were all warring around in and out of time, she probably meant to hit one of them and hit Spike. We see the woman, like, come in and lay down. More demons, more worrying, more fighting. Buffy's confused. But one of the times, the woman grabs Buffy, and Buffy, in her confusion, hits her, sending her rolling down a hill. So Buffy runs down. Spike finishes off the demons. He follows Buffy, where they find the girl dead. Buffy doesn't understand how this happened, but she thinks that she killed her. Spike's like, we gotta get out of here. It was an accident. We'll figure this out. Now, what happened was... Jonathan did his transformation magic to turn himself into an alive Katrina. 
Andrew summoned the demons, which we find out later are demons that sort of operate outside of time the way we understand it. Or they like fuck with time. But I kind of wish that Warren had something to do with the time wonkiness because they've done this to Buffy before. It required putting a device on her person, but like Jonathan could probably have done that as Katrina when he passed by her. I don't know. I thought it was actually kind of cool for a second that they all like had a role in this right. plot. But then when we find out the demons were doing the time stuff. I was like, oh, so Warren didn't do anything? I don't know. I just thought that was a missed opportunity. I agreed. Since they've set up that he can make her experience time weirdly. I guess doing it this way, Spike also was experiencing the time. What's interesting here is the guys sort of suggest their problems with Buffy are solved. But, like, they don't know that anything's going to come of this. Like, for all they know, Buffy walks away. It's not like someone's going to be like, oh, it's got Buffy's fist print on her cheek. Yeah, but Buffy's going to confess to killing her. Why would they be like, no, we want to look into it more? They have no reason to believe that Buffy is going to turn herself in. Oh, right. And if she doesn't turn herself in and the cops find this body at some point, there's no way to connect it to Buffy. And then Buffy will eventually learn that Katrina died, and she'll realize that's the girl that she killed. And she's going to be like, huh, that's weird, though. That's what ends up happening. So it's like this plan doesn't really make sense unless they know she'll turn herself in. And I don't know that they know Buffy well enough that she would do that. I almost feel like Jonathan thinks she will. I don't know. They know she's kind of moral. They're just, like, observing from the van, but they see that Buffy's found the real Katrina, thinks she killed her, and has no reason to suspect otherwise, so this is all her problem now. But you can tell that Jonathan really doesn't feel good about any of this. So Spike must convince Buffy to go home. She's having a super weird nightmare. The Buffy, what did you do, whispers her back. Spike is there in her bed, telling her it'll be all right. They seem to start having sex, which turns into sex in his crypt, where he's wearing handcuffs. And then he kind of turns into Katrina handcuffed in the woods, asking if she trusts her. More sex with Spike, and she stakes Spike, which turns into her staking Katrina. She wakes up. Spike isn't actually in her bed. That was part of the dream. I think it's just guilt. Yeah. And confusion. I don't know. Maybe there's more to it. So she goes into Dawn's room, wakes her up to tell her she loves her, apologizes for not being a great guardian, but she did accidentally kill a girl and is going to go turn herself in. Dawn's like, but then you'll end up in jail. That's what you want, isn't it? You can't stand to be around me. You were happy where you were, and you want to go away again, so just go. You're not really here anyway. So Buffy's like, I guess I will. She heads down to the police station. Spike is there outside waiting. He throws her to the ground. He's going to do his best to physically stop her from doing this. He's like, what are you going to say? There are demons in the woods, and time was wonky? They're not going to believe you. She's like, well, show them the body then. He's like, what body? I took care of it. No one's ever going to find her. Cue two cops coming out of the station saying they found a girl washed up in the river near the cemetery. Yeah, I don't think that Spike's that incompetent when it comes to body disposal. He's done it a lot, I'm sure. So it's like a little silly that he wouldn't know how to do it. I kept saying he should have just bitten her, make it look like a vampire death. Yeah. Or bury her in a grave. There must be plenty of open ones. River seems like the worst way. Yeah, you need to tie something heavy to her at least. Right. At least when I get rid of bodies, that's what I do. We've seen Breaking Bad. We know some ways. Yeah, usually we dissolve, but... We've gone through so many bathtubs. Spike's like, I can't let you confess. I love you. You're not throwing your life away because of this accident. Think how many people you've saved. One dead girl doesn't tip the scale. Buffy's kind of like, yeah, we don't really view death the same, though. Like, you're a lot more comfortable with just it being a normal thing that happens than I am. She also says that you don't love me. Yeah, that he, like, can't. Because he doesn't have a soul. And then she starts beating the shit out of him, telling him he doesn't have a soul. There's nothing good about him. He's dead inside. He can't feel anything real. She could never be his girl. Again, maybe talking to herself a bit here. Yeah. Some of this is how she feels about herself. And she's obviously stronger than him, but I do kind of think he sort of just takes it at some point. Yeah. 
He's really beat up by the end of this, all puffy-faced, and he tells her you always hurt the one you love. She heads into the police station. He's too beat up to stop her now. The cop at the desk is in the middle of a phone call where he writes down the spelling of someone's name, just like Logan. Mm-hmm. Oh, my girls. And then he's like, it's all there, buddy. Print the paper. <laughs> my dad will call you. Now, he's spelling the name Katrina Silber, a name Buffy recognizes. They've identified the body. It's a little weird because they show the way that Buffy remembers this is the scene from the sex bot episode where Warren calls her Trina. But Buffy puts it together that Warren must have done this. The cop is free to talk now, but Buffy has left. The next day at the magic shop, they're reading about the wonky time demons in a book. This is where Anya explains it's the demons that cause the time issues and being exposed to them for more than a few seconds can cause vivid hallucinations. Willow's like, well, that's it. They probably just made you think you killed her. But Buffy insists, no, this must somehow be Warren. He knew Katrina. He must have had something to do with it. Will's like, well, how can you be sure? But Buffy echoes what Spike said, that you always hurt the one you love. Dawn's like, does this mean you're not going away? And Buffy's like, yep, not going anywhere. And then Dawn storms out of the room. What do you want, Dawn? Yeah, shut up, Dawn. Do you want her to stay or not? I want Dawn to leave. (sighs) This is the point in the show where Dawn starts to get annoying as fuck. Yeah, I didn't really mind her at first. We had problems with how she was clearly written as like an eight-year-old when she was 14. With her, like, wanting to be aroundness when really a 14-year-old would want to, like, go find her own fucking boyfriend. Now, the thing is, if we're being honest, this is not crazy behavior for a teen, especially one that's, like, under the sort of pressures that Dawn is under. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's not acting unrealistically or unreasonably, but it's just not pleasant to watch. Right. And they, like, have to deal with her. (laughs) Yeah, Buffy's like, I'm working fucking at night and at this awful, humiliating fast food job so that I can be your, like, fake mother and you're mad that I'm not around enough, even though I'm, like, saving the world and getting money for you. A lot of why she's not around is because she's running off a spike all the time now, though. Yeah, that is fair. I do think some of Dawn's points are probably valid. Like, Buffy probably doesn't super want to hang out with Dawn when she could be having vampire sex. Yeah. She just needs to explain that. You've kissed a vampire. You know what it's like. Dawn. (laughs) So Buffy's like, we're going to find Warren and the others. They're not going to get away with this. Cut to the trio on a computer saying, we're going to get away with it. They're reading the police report. The coroner's ruling Katrina's death a suicide. Jonathan's still concerned about Buffy figuring it out. And Warren's like, yeah, well, if she does, we'll take care of her. Andrew kind of thinks it's cool that they got away with murder. And Warren seems to think it's kind of cool that Andrew thinks it's cool. And Jonathan doesn't seem sure about any of this anymore. I think there may be some rifts. I don't know that Andrew is um, unsavable. Maybe Jonathan can pull him back to the good side of the trio, but it ends with Tara coming over to tell Buffy that there's nothing wrong with her. She maybe is a little different on a molecular level because of shifting her from where she was, funneling her essence back into her body. She's just like different enough that it's somehow confusing Spike's chit. She like says it's essentially like uh, mutations in her cells, like the same way if someone's exposed to radiation. She specifically says sunburn, which is radiation. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, someone that like worked at a power plant or like had been exposed to radiation, maybe Spike could punch them too. He should just try punching a bunch of different people. <laughs> Tara thinks she's giving Buffy good news, but this is not what Buffy wanted to hear. She doesn't like who she is now and was hoping she could blame this on something. She's like, why do I feel like this? Why do I let Spike do those things to me? I think Tara puts together the types of things that Buffy means. Buffy's like, I should hate him. He's everything I'm supposed to be against, but... Being with him is the only time I feel anything. Tara promises she won't tell the others and asks if Buffy loves Spike. And it's okay if she does. He's done a lot of good and loves Buffy. She's like, it's also okay if you don't, though. Like, you're going through a lot, so it's all right if you're, like, 
And Buffy's like, if I'm what, using him? Is that okay? Which, even though Spike is a monster, she admits is wrong, which I've been saying. You're absolutely right. I think Buffy kind of, like, lets herself do this thing that she knows is wrong. Because Buffy doesn't, like, she's a superhero. She wants to do the right thing all the time. Mm -hmm. But because he's evil, she kind of feels it's okay a little bit. But she knows it's not. Because she straight up is using him. Like, she's aware that she's doing it. Yeah. I think when she was beating him up before telling him he doesn't love her, she probably didn't actually believe that. She knows he does. But she really starts, like, breaking down. She's, like, begging Tara not to be so forgiving of her. She wants her to tell her that she's wrong for doing these things. Tara just kind of, like, I'm kind of out of the group. Should we, like, call Xander, maybe? She doesn't say that. She just kind of silently lets Buffy cry. And um, that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Real um, happy ending there. No, it got. It was a dark episode, and it, it ended pretty dark. Yeah, it was dark all the way through. Really depressing episode. I remember, like, at this point in season six, I was like, oh, yeah, season six is a bit of a drag. I will say Buffy's hair is very cute. It is. She got the haircut in the last one, but it's, like, styled real cute in this one. Like, uh, the bob with the flipped up bottoms and very Kelly Clarkson streaky dye job. Very 2002. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, was this a good episode? I don't think it's a good episode. I do think a lot of plot things are coming out, but no, I don't like this episode. And that's maybe me just being prejudiced against this episode because it's like my escape show, you know, it's my fantasy show. And like this episode is just like so heavy and dealing with such mature themes. You know, Buffy always has a mix of dark themes mixed with light laughter and, and, you know, jokes. I don't know that many jokes were really hitting in this one because it would have been almost inappropriate to have much more humor in it. Right. There were some things here and there, but yeah. We're talking about sexual assault. We're talking about murder of someone that you were trying to sexually assault. We're talking about people like reveling in the fact that they got away with that. This episode deals with a super toxic relationship of Spike and Buffy. I know people probably were really into Spike and Buffy being together because it's like, you know, what people have been shipping because James Marsters is hot and so is Buffy. But, like, this episode's letting us know that, like, it's not a healthy, good relationship, though, guys. It's, it's fucked up. Spike is, you know, the question of whether he can love or not is really up in the air. Drusilla did say that they can. So I think that they can, but I don't know that it's like a pure actual love. It's more of like a hyper obsession. Some people might disagree with me with that, but I have more to say that I can't really say on the podcast right now because you're listening. Right. But it's just like all this like self-loathing and depression. These are all really important things that we should be able to talk about. But it's just so hard to watch these characters I love. Go through this. It's just like very real things that there's not an answer for. There's not like a snake mayor you can go beat up. You know, it's just like, yeah, the, everybody's a little wrong and it's fucked up. And Willow's also dealing with her issues. It's sad. Honestly, it's a little tough to get through. I will say probably the stuff with Buffy is like, I don't know, cleverly written. Yeah. I don't know. She's dealing with depression and she's like coping with that in ways that people cope with that. So that's like an interesting thing to explore. That being said, I don't know that this would be like a fun episode to rewatch. It seems like yeah. a very skippable episode. Well, you know what is I want I wanted to mention is that I know the writers introduced the trio in a way to have like a silly villain to contrast their like really heavy themes they were going to do with like Buffy and Willow. And it's kind of interesting to have like a human villain. But like this episode I think suffers because instead of being like, oh, these guys are doing like a silly caper mm-hmm. to like lighten the mood while Buffy deals with like self-hatred and a toxic sexual relationship and Willow deals with like addiction and like family destruction and Dawn's like abandonment issues. 
on top of that, we're not going to have silly villains. We're going to have like rapey villain. Like it's so dark on every corner. It's just too much. Yeah. I think it's too many layers of real world depression issues. Like it, we needed to have a silly villain. Yeah, I get why the trio is silly, but in this episode, they were they're, they're doing two of the realest things that like women should be worried about. I mean, there are guys that do this. There aren't guys that make magical devices that like brainwash women, but there are men who like prey on women. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. So it's just for me, it's too much. And it would have been better if in this episode we had the trio doing a funny little, you know, foiled plot. Yeah. So, no, I don't think it's a good one. I think it's too dark. I think it was it was written too dark. I'm interested to see how this shapes the trio going forward because it seems to have changed a few things. But Sure, yeah. We'll see. So which episode do you think was better? Charmed? Uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it was Gilmore Girls for sure. Like I said, Buffy isn't like, I don't know, I've, I've hated episodes more that I thought were just like dumb and not clever. But as far as like which one I enjoyed more, it's obvious. Yeah. It's just like not a fun Buffy at all. This Buffy, too, it's like in the world of streaming, it's by every because you could just be like, maybe something in the next episode will resolve this and you could just keep going. But being left with this feeling of sadness for another week is is rough. Yeah. And this is one of the best Gilmore Girls of season six. Yeah. Well, okay, we shat all over that episode. Sorry, everybody. I love Buffy and I love Gilmore Girls. Uh, I just explained ad nauseum why I don't love this episode. But we're done with this one. And if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Bubba the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 14, Older and Far Away. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 14, You've Been Gilmored. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. How did you feel about Logan saving the day? Am I being silly? Am I being too much? Is Dawn being too much? Do you think Richard actually doesn't remember the conversation about Mitchum? Do you think Buffy blackmails the Double Me Palace into letting her use their break room for whatever she wants? What is Giles up to right now? Honestly, they need him so bad. I miss him. How do you feel about this Buffy episode, guys? Do you think it was too dark like I suggested? Or did you like that it was so real and so dark? Tell me. I can take it. What was your favorite Friday night dinner vignette? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stacy, where we're also watching Angel, posting weekly video recaps of that. We host monthly live stream watch parties. We post monthly podcast outtakes, and we share early extended episode previews. And for more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. Yeah, check out the music video we made about Stars Hollow. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It gets a lot more traffic to our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. And if you do so, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. All right, Brian. You want to go lick the empties? We got to go lick those empties while we talk about Tilly. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.